0: is everybody in is everybody in the podcast is about to begin graveyard grumbler podcast hello everyone welcome to episode 31 of the graveyard grumbler podcast i'm your host tino romero jr aka the graveyard grumbler uh, today's episode's titled the day superman died now it has nothing to do with comic books And for those of you who were (laughs) uh, looking for comic book related stuff, it's not going to be this episode. However, this episode is the day Superman died because like a lot of kids, they look up to their parents. They, They feel that their dad or mom are Superman and Superwoman. Me, personally, my dad was Superman to me. And my dad passed away August 21st, 1993, which is kind of funny that I decided to release this episode today because August is tomorrow. And it's the anniversary month of his death. I don't hold on to dates the way that a lot of people do. You know, I actually had asked my siblings what year and day that he passed away. I knew the month. I knew it was in August. Uh, now, disclaimer for people listening to this, especially my family. This episode is in no way, shape or form meant to shit on any one of you. It is not meant to hurt anyone's feeling. And it is not meant to discredit, discredit anyone's character. Now, I will leave the names out of uh, out of this episode that yeah, I, I regarding my my family. So I'm just going to refer to them as aunt, uncle, siblings, sister, whatever you know, mom. I'm not going to share anyone's name. So on that note, what this episode is about, which I feel like every one of us can release an episode in this way you know we've all have lost someone close to us near and dear to our heart and we just don't No, i shouldn't say we but a lot of people just do not have an outlet that they can share exactly how they they perceive things you know for fear of a uh, quote being wrong or getting corrected by someone who's seen it and felt it completely different in the way they have and today's episode It's one of those things that just nagged me, and nagged me, nagged me for the for the past few years. And I always wanted to release something in that way, you know. And uh, today, now that I have my podcast, I felt like this is an appropriate platform and time to release this episode. Again, it's been one of those things that have been nagging me. And so I decided, hey, why not? Right. And with this episode, again, I just feel like I can connect with so many people out there around the world. Again, we've all have lost someone near and dear to our hearts. So, what this episode is about this episode is going to be about before my father passed away, when he passed away, and after he passed away. It's not going to be a complete chronological, chronological, <laughs> chronological uh, timeline from the day i was born up until my 38 years of existence it's not going to be any of that what it's going to be is just from when right before he passed away from what i remember and the day he passed away and the and you know the day a couple of days leading after now what this is is it is everything the way i saw it happen the way i felt and the way well i guess i mean the 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 effects that it's had that's helped shape me to uh, the individual that I am today. So with that said, I guess it's the best time to get started. So <laughs> again, my, my father passed away August 21st, 1993, and he was a very, very hardworking, hardworking dad. You know, he he worked in oil fields. He was an immigrant, came from uh, Mexico, Now, again, the the timeline and from exactly where he was born and where he was raised and where he came from, that's all shady to me. I I don't I don't know exactly. Yeah, he is my dad, but uh, he was born from my understanding. He was born in Zacatecas, Mexico, and then he was raised in Tijuana, but then came over to the United States. And uh, for those of you wondering, yes, he did get his citizenship to become an, a U.S. citizen. And, you know, then he met my mom and, and you know, they married uh, however old they were when they were married and had kids. They had uh, my two older sisters and then myself. And then way later on down the years, my my brother came out as a surprise. And so at the end, he had four kids, two, two girls and two boys. And me personally, I just think that I'm the best kid out of all of them. All of them. But hey, that's just my opinion. Again, that's why it's my podcast. Uh, he like I said, he worked really, really hard to, do, you know, to provide with this family, just like any any loving uh, dad and husband would do for their family to make sure that they're provided for and taken care of. And the reason why I call I, I, ref- I made this episode uh, the the day Superman died was because some of the stories that my mom told me when I was younger and even when I got older, you know, after he had passed away, it left me. In disbelief that, <laughs> you know, an, an individual was capable of performing day in, day out, you know, in a, in a very physically demanding job out in the oil fields like my dad has or like my dad did. The, the funny thing is now that I'm older, I'm not as extreme as my dad was, or at least I don't think so. But work is work, you know, regardless of how badly I'm hurt how, you know, if I don't feel well, I have to go to work. I have to, I have to go in now that I'm, I'm, you know, a little older and I've been working for, for a lot of years now. Now I, I use my sick days. <laughs> it, it took me a long time to realize that my sick hours are there for me to use and not just to let them go away. So now if I'm not filling up to it, or if I'm in too much pain, I just won't go to work. I'll call out, use my, use my uh, sick hours and you know i don't feel as bad i still feel bad cuz i missed work but you know anyways this, is, this isn't about me this is about my dad you know growing up you see your, your your the routine was my dad would go to work at 5 in the morning so he would be up real early in the morning you know 4 or something drink his coffee and have his breakfast my mom would be there making his lunch and as a treat in certain times i would be able to wake up with him at 4 in the morning And go uh, sit at the table while he's eating his breakfast and drinking his coffee and I'll have one of the homemade tortillas that my mom would make. I don't think I had anything in it. I just had, you know, two freshly homemade tortillas. It, it wasn't, don't don't think that my mom made them specifically for me. Now that I'm older, I understand that she never made them specifically for me, that she made <laughs> those were the outcasts of the tortilla batches. Those were the ones that were oblong or, or square tortillas that didn't come out the way that they're supposed to. So those were put aside, and I was fortunate enough to eat some of those. I don't know if my sister's did the same thing, which I'm guessing they have, you know, we, we, we all loved our, our father. We loved him dearly. Of course it was our dad. And so he would go in the work in the morning, five in the morning and he would, or six in the morning. It was early. It was early morning. And again, I was a kid, so I don't really remember the exact time. No one, no little kid wakes up, you know, at uh four or five o'clock in the morning and check the time and say, God damn, you know, it's, it's early. It's time for us to like, cup of coffee, <laughs> You know, so the routine would be my dad go in the morning. He'd go work all day, come back home in the evening around five, five thirty. We would hear his truck pull into the driveway. I would get excited and hear my dad open the, the back, the backyard, the gate to the backyard, come into our back door, place his lunchbox on the counter and hear his heavy boots walking from the kitchen to the living room. And when I saw him appear from the kitchen, I would be overjoyed and run to him, you know, hug him, tell him hi and and all that other good stuff. And then I would make a beeline from him straight to his lunchbox so I can eat the leftover sweets that he had bought at the store or at the from the lunch truck. So uh, on the good days of of the of the uh, uh, not the pilgrimage, but when the rating of his lunchbox, I would have, you know, some uh, home run pies. I would have some ho-hos, a couple of Twinkies here and there. And the ones that I hated the most would be the snowballs. I, I would peel the, the pink coconut snow, <laughs> the pink coconut uh, topping off of it and just leave the chocolate cake because I'm a gangster like that. You know, I'm raw and I like coconut. <laughs> but th- that was a routine for many years that I remember. Now, fast forward to 1993 of August. My, my dad and I, for as far as I can remember, I would be... I would wake up with him uh, Saturday mornings at seven o'clock in the morning. Well, that's the time I would wake up and I'd have my breakfast, have my, you know, whatever I'm going to eat. And then we'd go out to some rentals that we, that my dad owned or, you know, that my mom and dad owned and we would work on them. And it would be anywhere from just, you know, basic yard work to uh, house maintenance to rebuilding completely of the entire houses. You know, there were three houses that were. Right around the same little blocks, the same little uh, neighborhood from each other. It wasn't that far of a drive. So we own we own three of them. Two units that were connected, not connected, but two units that were on the same property, and then one unit where one of my aunts live now on uh, on Rodman in Bakersfield, California. That was you know that that ha- that was a bigger piece of property and a bigger a bigger rental. However, you know I remember as a as a child seen all of my, the Romero family completely destroying the interior of the house, the outside of the house and rebuilding them to, you know, so they can look better, have new uh, interior structures and and be able to meet code inspection standards, which at the time I didn't know. I just thought it was just a family get together where all, you know, a lot of my cousins and my uncles would hang out with each other, drink some beer and work on the house and break shit, you know? So I I would loved it. You know, my, my cousins around the same age at times would join in the demolition and rebuilding and it was it was a fucking awesome time you know so again that was a routine every saturday morning for years and years and years and years and years and years so in 1993 it was the 21st of august and that saturday morning it was just like every day you know every other saturday we woke up we ate our breakfast and and we headed out to the rentals to work on them and the the thing was is that my my dad wasn't his normal joking around goofy self and you know friends and family who listen to this podcast know exactly what i mean that my dad was was the life of the party my dad was the joker he was the one he was the entertainer if if the the event was dull you can count on my dad to spice things up and make it fun for everyone. He wasn't, he, he never left anyone out of the party. He included everyone. Even if he didn't know you, you're going to get talked, you know, not talked about in a mean way, but just joking around, you know, just like ribbing. And that morning he wasn't, he wasn't the same. It, it, It just, it was a different, it was a different atmosphere with him. And I remember clearly we went to the house and we started working and we were only there for maybe three hours. So we went, we, you know, I remember getting there early morning. So it was around 8am that we actually got to the little house, to the little little rentals. And we were only there until about noon, which was weird because we always, we always stayed until late afternoon, you know, three o'clock, almost four o'clock in the afternoon working. And then my dad would come home and you know we do whatever we had to do for that Saturday Saturday evening now that Saturday was a schedule on the 21st was scheduled for my cousins my little cousin's birthday party that was going to be held at his house and so me get thinking when I was younger that oh you know we're heading home early so we can get washed up and and get ready for the party that was happening at 5 or 6 in the evening at my uncle's house now <sighs> the, again, the atmosphere and, and the, the mood was real, was a real sullen mood. My dad just looked extra tired and exhausted. And it, it was, it was off because he was never like that. You know, he'd work six days a week, you know, sometimes seven, you know, he'd work his regular you know uh, day job, And then the evenings he would do the yard or go do side work and work on uh, other people's stuff, you know, uh, electric, electrical issues he would be there to fix. So he was constantly working, constantly working. And when he wasn't, he didn't have side jobs in the evenings. He would go to the gym and work out for a couple hours, you know, at least an hour at least. So on Saturday morning, he was just kind of moping around and not really putting his full effort in, in working, you know, we cleaned up, we did a, a few little yard that, well, I did a few little yard things around the, around the yard. He did some stuff on the inside and then he called me in to, to the inside the house. So I can, so I can clean up all of the mess. Now it, it wasn't, it wasn't different to any other Saturday. I, I always cleaned up, you know, the the little scraps and things that that he wanted me to clean up to show, you know, teach me how to work, which I'm very thankful for. But, on this, on this Saturday specifically, there was more things left for me to clean up than usual. And it just seemed odd to me. You know, I, I, I had to put his tools away, which I never put his tools away because he had things organized a certain way and the scraps and trash, it wasn't a lot, but it was more things than I would normally clean up, which just seemed, seemed odd. Again, when you're used to a certain pattern with someone and they veer from that typical pattern, you start to notice. And me at a very young age in 1993, around uh, 12 years old, it, uh, you know, you pick up on things that don't seem right. And again, the mood was real sullen and it, it was just a different atmosphere from what we're usually joking around laughing. I'm getting yelled at for, you know, goofing off and not working the way I'm supposed to. But this, on this particular Saturday, on the 21st of August in 93, I didn't get yelled at he, he wanted me as close as possible in his area as, as, as he could have me again, which was really weird because I would get sent off to go do uh, yard work and clean up things from the outside. That way I won't be in his way. <laughs> so he can actually fulfill the task that he had, that he had, uh, that he needed to get done or need to get completed. So he would, again, we only worked for a few hours and we, uh, we wrapped it up and, I mean, it was just odd that we we finished so early. I mean, I was ecstatic because I I hated working at the rentals. I mean, my sisters can can agree, you know, those fucking rentals are deadly. My mom, you know, dramatically jumped into a window, broke her ankle, and you know, she fireman rolled just to prove that, you know, she can still jump through windows. And no, I'm just kidding. My, my younger brother locked himself in or something and he couldn't open the door. So my mom had jump in through the window. This was after my dad passed away and she had jump in through the window and she broke her ankle. <laughs> but you know, my brother was a cause of a lot of, a lot of things that pissed my mom off to the, to no degree. And my brother almost killed himself, locking himself inside of the van. And my mom was pissed. I think my mom's face was redder and hotter than the Bakersfield sun that day. it was, it was It was awesome. But back to story. Uh, So, you know, I I was, uh, I was very relieved that we were able to go home. So we head down the street uh, to the little market that we would always buy. My dad would buy a couple, uh, a couple of tall boys or a six pack of beer. And I would get my, my reward for working, which would be, you know, a bag of chips and a Sprite. Because, you know, I had to drink a Sprite because I wanted to drink a beer like my dad, but I wasn't old enough to drink beer yet. So that day he picked up a six pack and His his beer choice at the time was Bud Light. He was way past the Budweiser days, so he was now into the Bud Light phase. And he picked up a a, a six pack and didn't drink anything. Normally, he would have a beer on the way home. Again, yes, I know now that I'm 38 years old that drinking and driving was one is 100% illegal, and no one should ever drink and drive or drink and then drive. No one should ever do that, but. At the time growing up, I thought it was perfectly normal because that's something that I saw from my cousins, from my uncles, uh, from friends, you know, everyone drank and drove. So I never thought anything bad about it. So my dad had his uh, six pack of Bud Light in a little brown bag. I was drinking my Sprite and uh, he was drinking and eating my Funyuns. Again, I, I remember this clearly. And he wasn't drinking. He didn't have any beer. Which was odd because, again, after every Saturday that we finished working, he would have at least one beer on the way home and then he would drink his other beer in the evening uh, leading up to whatever events were planned for that for that night. You know, sometimes we just stay at home. My dad would listen to music or we'd go out to one of my uncle's houses and party until fucking four o'clock in the morning. But this particular Saturday, he he didn't have the same energy and the same uh, motivation. He wasn't upbeat like he normally was. So. We get back to the house and he still had five. He still had all six beers. And I remember we were sitting outside. um, I was playing around outside before I was told to get ready for my little cousin's birthday party that evening. And I was playing with my with my little dog, uh, my dog Tigre. And my, you know, my dad was sitting out there on the on the uh, patio uh, benches that we that he had made. And he was drinking his beer real slowly and he still had his five other beers next to him. And he calls me over and my mom comes outside at the same time, you know, she knows that, that we pulled up to the house and she walks outside. So around when my mom finally reaches my dad, I, my mom and I reach my dad at the same time. You know, my dad called me and he wanted to talk to me. So I, I walk over to him and he sits me on the, on the park bench, on the little picnic bench that we have underneath the patio and so it's my dad and my mom and myself. And my dad looks at me and he says, hey, morro, which is son in Spanish, morro, son in Spanish. And he tells me that, you know, that when I'm when I die, that you have to be the man in the family, that you have to uh, take care of your mom and your your sisters and your brother. And you have to make sure that the yard is taken care of and it still looks the way that that it looks now. You know, It's going to be your responsibility that when I die and when I I'm not always going to be around. So you're going to have to be the man of the family. And I'm looking at my dad like, well, what, what the fuck is going on here? And when, when how did this, this topic and the subject even, even start? And my dad, you know, serious look, he's not joking around, which 90% of the time my dad's joking around, but his face just had a real different look. His eyes. And again, this is all from what I remember in that he, he had this, this look in his eyes where. There was hurt in his eyes and there was uh, there was truth in his eyes. And the conversation that he had with me, it wasn't even a conversation. It was just him talking about when he dies that I have to be the man of the family and I'm going to have to take over all of the daily maintenance of the yard and the house and make sure that my mom is, is taken care of and that it, it's pretty much my turn to step up and, and take over when he told me that it it took me off guard because I wasn't expecting that. I didn't, I didn't, you don't, you you don't hear, you're, you know, you don't hear Superman talk about leaving this earth. And when that conversation happened, it, it left a weird feeling in my body. I didn't, I didn't like how, how I felt after the conversation. And my mom looks at my dad and says, stop telling him that you're scaring him. Why, why are you telling him? Why are you being silly? Don't 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 talk like that. That's something that you don't need to talk about with him. And it just my dad's all, well, you know, I, he has to know I'm not always going to be around and that when I die, he has to be the man of the family. And my mom says, yeah, you know, but that's not going to be for a long time. You don't need to tell him that you're scaring him. And my mom told, you know, told me to go shower and get ready for, for the party. So I left again. When I left, I just felt this, this, I had this dreadful feeling inside of me and I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what it meant and I didn't know exactly how to feel. So, you know, we, we head to the party and my dad, when he gets around my, my family, my dad's side of the family, which is a Romero family. We're, they're big partiers. They, they enjoy their, they enjoy having a good time. And they are, we are, I say we, of course, we are notoriously big drinkers. And when it comes to party time, we like to cut loose and, and have a lot of drinks. And it, you know, being that it was my cousin's birthday, it was, you know, nothing less was expected than to have a, a bit, a good time with music, beer, friend, and family. So we showed up and, You know, my dad, again, was not drinking the way he normally does. I'm not saying that my dad was a raging alcoholic and he drank every day, every hour, every minute of every day. No. However, when just like all of us, when we get around social events to where alcohol is involved, we enjoy drinking more than usual. And, you know, with the Romeros and with a lot of families, it's no different. So when we get there. We greet everybody and it was a lot, it was almost my entire, it, it was it was a lot of my uncles and cousins and aunts that were there, which again, it, it was great. It was a great Romero family party to celebrate my cousin's birthday. And it was time to eat. And again, I remember my dad, he not having as many beers as he would typically have. And I, I remember vividly that my uncle well, one of my uncles offered him a beer and he's on no, I'm okay. I still have this one. And it seemed around, I don't know, about 30, 45 minutes later, another uncle, because I mean, we were all sitting next together. I was sitting next to my mom and my dad while we were eating our food. And another uncle offered my dad a beer and he says, no, I still have this one. Now it doesn't take that long to drink uh, a can of beer, especially when you're around friends and family and you're having a great time. But again, I remember that my dad's mood was real sullen. He was You can tell that it was a forced happy face that he was putting on, which isn't normal for my dad. And it it was it was a bizarre, it was just a bizarre incident. And after I finished eating, I you know I asked my mom and my dad if I can go play, and you know they told me, of course, you need to go play with your cousins. So with my cousins, we're running around the backyard acting a fool. And one of our passes, we we ran through. Not through the party because we'd get our ass whooped if we ran through the party. But we ran uh, around the party to another piece of my uncle's backyard. And when I turned around to walk towards my mom to ask her if we can go across the street to my aunt's house, I was about, I don't know, 15 feet away from the table that my dad and my mom were sitting at. Well, my dad stands up and he staggers right around the table. And right after that staggering, he collapsed. Boom you know, he falls and all of my aunts and uncles freak out and you hear people screaming and yelling. And then, uh, my brother-in-law at the time helped lift him up along with another one of my uncles. And when they picked him up on their, you know, that my, my dad was, uh, he, they, they draped his arms over each one of you know my brother-in-law at the time. And my uncle, they, they threw the, the arms around each other's necks to help assist him in walking around and he he they were you know pushing him smacking him on his face and shaking him trying to get him to wake up and i remember at one point someone grabbed a water hose and turned it on and and soaked my dad's entire head back and neck to try to wake him up thinking that you know a splash of cold water might might have actually had woken him up from you know passing out from the heat from the shock again. This is August in Bakersfield, which usually is around 115 degrees, 112 degrees, and I, I I was standing there staring at this whole event unfold. They were screaming, they were trying to get him to to wake up, but he just fell limp with his arms draped around my uncle and my and my brother-in-law. Well, what seemed like I don't know, it just seemed like a few minutes. They ended up laying him down. I couldn't find my mom. I, I, from what I remember is that they ushered my mom into the house, which makes no fucking sense. You know, why would you uh, usher the, the wife of the, of the fallen individual inside of the house? Why wouldn't you just let her stay outside? And I remember them making a big deal to not let my mom see my dad on the floor because the, what, the reason why I remember that is because. I ran in the house, and I ran to my uncle's house through the back door to uh, get, you know, to let my mom know what was happening. A couple of my aunts were standing in front of my mom telling her don't go outside. Everything is going to be everything is going to be okay, and I'm looking, again, I'm I'm, I'm 12 years old, and I get, it didn't register in my head why the fuck they didn't let my mom walk outside to watch my dad pretty much die on the on the ground. And I remember my mom telling me, You know, Fortinito—that's you know—that's my my nickname growing up—and she tells me, "Go take care of your dad and let me know what happens." So, I tell my mom, "Okay," and I haul ass out to back to the backyard where where my dad is is on the ground. And by the time that I get out there, the the uh, EMTs were already working on my dad. You know, they had his shirt open. They had. Uh, you know, the, the telemetry monitors on him, they were starting an IV, they were checking his blood pressure and they were no, there was no movement. There was no movement from, from my dad. There was a huge, huge body, a circles, a circle of bodies surrounding my dad on the ground. And one of the EMTs looked at the other EMT and gave this look and shook his head and I knew right then and there that my dad was dead the day Superman died. But because of all the, the, the because of all the excitement and and uh, chaos that was happening, it didn't register. But I clearly saw the EMTs look at each other and give that fuck. He's not making it. So they, they throw him on the stretcher. Yes, they threw him on the stretcher. They picked him up and tossed him. My dad was, uh, you know, it, it was an emergency, you know. So they, they strapped him in and aunts crying, uncles were shaking their head. Everything was, was just, it was chaotic. And then they take him into the ambulance. At that time, somewhere along the lines, it was agreed that I was to go to one of my other uncle's house and with my cousin, which the, the uncle that I'm talking about, I, I loved him, I love him dearly. And we went to his house while my aunt went with my mom to the hospital to, you know, find out what's what's happening with my dad. And it was, again, this all happened in the evening time. The sun was still out. And when my dad had collapsed to the time he was taken into the ambulance, it had turned into, it was just turning dark. So I think it was around eight in the evening when he was finally taken away from from the party into the ambulance. It might've been later. I just know that it started getting dark. And then by the time they left, the lights were clearly lighting up the entire neighborhood. And so I was at my, my cousin's house with my uncle and we were, you know, watching TV, playing some Nintendo, which that one of the reasons why I love going over, going over to his house. He had a Nintendo and I didn't. So we were, you know, played some uh, Nintendo baseball and some Mario brothers. And then we got a phone call. I knew for a fact that it was my aunt who, who called my uncle to update him on the status. And I asked if I can speak to, to my mom and if, or actually I asked if I can talk to my dad and then I wasn't giving any permission to, to talk to my dad. And then I asked if I can talk to my mom and then my, I was given the phone and I talked to my aunt and I asked, you know, how's my dad. And I remember my aunt telling me, oh, he's fine. Everything is okay. Okay. And I asked, oh, is he breathing? And my aunt says, yes, he is breathing and he will be home tomorrow morning. So this happened on a Saturday. So Sunday morning, you, you know, I was going to see my dad, which was fucking phenomenal. I was very excited. When I hung up, I was excited. I was I was overjoyed. I was happy. You know, I just saw uh, my my superhero fall to the ground, get hauled off in an ambulance. And then he was going to come back. He's going to be back better than ever Sunday morning, you know, because nothing could hold my hold my dad down. And the reason why I said I was so excited was because my dad at one time in his working life was hit by a diesel truck when he was walking through the yard of his work and he got hit by the diesel truck and broke a couple of his ribs. He still tried to go to work the next day. And he would have succeeded if my mom would not force him to stay home and call the owner of the company to let him know that, my, that he had broken ribs and he's not going to be able to go to work for a while. And with that story on top of other stories where my dad was hurt pretty bad, he still went to work. So when you see your superhero collapse on the ground and then your aunt that you trust, love and respected dearly tells you that he is doing fine, he's breathing and he'll be home tomorrow morning you don't think anything other than that happening. So I was ecstatic. I was overjoyed. I was so excited that I could hardly sleep, you know, cause I was excited to see my dad. Why wouldn't you, but you just saw something happen to your dad. And so I go to sleep, I wake up early in the morning and we drive off, you know, we head over to my house. And when, right before we parked, I saw a bunch of cars parked in front of my house and it wasn't, a huge shock to see a lot of people at my house because typically there would there there would be quite a few people whether it be my my aunts from my mom's side to come visit us uh people from you know the Romero family to come visit us and it it only made sense that people would go to our house after my dad collapsed to you know to give him their well wishes and and their uh you know their thankful that they're thinks that everything is uh, okay and, and happy. And then spend the day with him to, you know, family brings up the mood. My dad is, my dad was, I, I'm, I'm sure he still is, but my dad was a very well-loved person in, on both sides of the family, my mom's side and on my, on the Romero side. So it didn't, it wasn't a shock that there was a lot of people at my house. So I get out, I, <laughs> I get out of, I get out of my uncle's car and fucking haul ass into the house pop open the door and as soon as I walk into my living room I am greeted by a bunch of family members from my mom's side they're sitting around in a circle in the living room you know somewhere on the couch somewhere on some chairs and they all stare at me as soon as I open the door I bust open the door look around and I'm greeted by everyone's eyes And the feeling and the awkwardness that I had when I opened up that door was like no other. It it was, I hated that feeling. I hated being the center of attention, but I knew that the center of attention for that particular moment wasn't a positive one. I saw my mom's face. It was wet with tears. It looked like she had been crying all night and all day, which, you know, it's completely understandable, but I didn't, I didn't run to her. I ran to my dad's room because I didn't see my dad sitting in his normal spot. I didn't see him in the, in the kitchen. I didn't see him anywhere in the living room, dining room or kitchen area. I didn't even hear his voice. So my, my first thing was, oh, he's still laying down. You know, he, he had a rough day or he had a rough night. So it only makes sense for him to lay down. So I ran into my dad's room and he's not there. Now, what that, the, the thing that hurt me the most wasn't the fact that my dad died. Yeah, that hurt. Don't get me wrong. That, that really, that really fucked me up. But what hurt the most was that my aunt lied to me about it. That, you know, it, it, I never understood why in the Mexican culture you know, I don't know if that's just the Latino culture or if it's just in all the cultures that death is something that's kept a secret and lied to. Don't lie to your kids about someone dying, you know, especially if it's their dad or their mom. Be, be fucking truthful. What that hurt me the most. I, I have never been I was I was never let down by someone I trusted and I loved so much like I did with my aunt. And apparently, again, remember when I told you that when the EMTs looked at each other, that I I knew that he had passed. Well, apparently he had passed away that night, that evening, and there was no uh, hope in reviving him. So he uh, he was dead. So with that feeling of my dad dying and then the the horrendous, overwhelming feeling of being lied to combined, I lost it. I started crying. I was crying, I was I wasn't frantic or I wasn't hysterical, but I went to my room uh, and laid on my bed and cried, and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. My mom came and, you know, she apologized, which I don't understand why my mom would apologize for my dad dying. It's not like she killed him. It's not like there was this master plan where my dad was gonna die, <laughs> you know what I mean on that day. So I don't understand why my mom cried. I mean, my mom apologized and the the hurt that I had, when I was a little kid was the, was, and has been the worst hurt that I've ever felt in my entire existence. The combination of losing my dad, losing my superhero and being lied to by my aunt were by far, and are by far the worst feelings that I have ever felt in my entire life. When I I tried to explain to my mom why I was lied to, or what I tried to ask my mom, why I was lied to. And she tells me, "Oh, because I told her to tell you that." No, it doesn't matter. You know, as an adult, you need you know you need to make the better judgment. Say, man, I can't lie to this kid. I need to, I need to tell her. You know that that shit's not right. So, with that feeling of of hopelessness and and helplessness, and I was lost. What what am I going to do? You know, my it's not that I it's not the fact that I lost somebody. It's the fact that my entire routine since the the beginning of my existence has now been turned upside down and chaotic. And what, what am I going to do? And what's the worst part about the entire, not the worst part. One, one of the bad things about the, about that is trying to get your bearing and trying to put on a brave face. When you, uh, you, uh, uh, you, you just, something traumatic has been told to you. And then you walk back in and try to confront and, and meet everyone's eyes and the feeling of, I feel sorry for you or it's not, how, how do I explain it? It's not that they felt sorry for me. Is that, yeah, they felt sorry for me. That that's pretty much, you know, this guilt feeling that I felt for no reason. You know, I felt guilty and I felt, I felt hopeless. I felt like a, a fucking circus animal walking back into the living room and seeing all of my family around. I fucking hate that feeling. And so, you know, I remember. Uh, you know, everyone carried on and and try to keep the the uh, mood and and atmosphere upbeat and happy, but it just didn't work. I didn't give a fuck about that. So I went outside with my dog and my cousin and me. The cousin that I spent a night at the, at his house, which is the same age as me. We we went out to the back and you know we just did. We sat there trying to reflect and, and combine our own memories of my dad without the influence of my mom and my siblings and my aunts and uncles, which of course were great. You know, we we were able to share the the wonderful moments and and everything that that, <laughs> as far as a twelve year old can remember, we're able to put together. But I I remember that I was so angry and so lost. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to combined or not combined, but I know how to handle my, my emotions and my feelings. So I was crying and for my family members who know my dad, my dad was huge on, you know, little, little boys don't need to cry. Little kids shouldn't be crying period. I mean, that's, that's the way my dad looked at it, but specifically, you know, little boys because you know, men don't cry. So being 12 years old and, and fighting, the, the feelings that I had was, it it was, it was confusing for me because I was trying to be a man quote unquote. And then I was trying to, uh, still, you know, release my emotions and and figure out how to deal with that. And what, what a lot of my family members don't know is later on that evening, (laughs) I went into my dad's truck and found his, his, uh, emergency cigarettes that he had. And so I took a cigarette out of his his pack and it was a Winston Red, the harshest fucking cigarette I had ever smoked in my entire life. I went around to the back of of our of our uh, of our yard and went around the back. And at the time, I was able to get away with it because everyone was still emotionally distraught and and dealing with family members on the inside because nobody left our house for like fucking three days. It seemed like we always had aunts and uncles and cousins at our house, no matter what time of the fucking day which, you know, I mean, it, it annoyed me because I, I didn't want people at my house. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to, you know, be close with my family to help, you know, uh, fill the void that, that we had now, but we couldn't do that because little kids aren't allowed or aren't supposed to get involved in adult shit, which was really fucking annoying because, you know, yeah, we're kids, but you know what that happened? That's our dad. Don't, don't just push us aside. And and mute our voice. We need to to open up, and we need to you know help heal this, and not be ignored and told to shut up. You know, again, there's there's one specific aunt that that I went inside to that I went inside later on that evening. It was around you know eight in the evening, and I tried to I tried to talk to my mom, but again, my mom was very emotional. She was very distraught. You know, she just lost her life partner and didn't know how to handle it. You know, it was was a sudden thing that, that all this happened. But I remember walking into the house that evening and I remember trying to talk to my mom and this aunt told me to be quiet and leave my mom alone and to go away. That pissed me off to the worst fucking way that I can ever think of. Now, you know, now that I'm older, I wouldn't don't, you know, for for parents of whatever culture, don't do that. Allow your kids to talk to the person that's mourning cuz we're all mourning as well. An adult mourn isn't an adult who is mourning isn't any different from a child who just lost their parent and mourning. It is still a huge emotional uh, hiccup and a huge thing that that they have to deal with and by telling them to get away be, makes it seem like their their emotions aren't as important or as valuable as other people's are and that's a fucking lie it's all just as bad and everyone still needs to mourn and everyone needs that that uh, opportunity to open up and and get comforted by their fucking mom you know what i mean and that pissed me off so i again i went out to uh we're gonna go grab that marlboro i mean that winston cigarette and went to the back and i lit and I lit it and I sat on this little you know, piece of equipment that we had in the back, I, or it actually was a toolbox. So I sat on this toolbox the way that my dad would sit, the way I remember him sitting. And I remember trying to smoke that Winston because I want to be exactly like my dad. Well, joke was on me. I took a huge drag of the cigarette, tried to inhale, and I fucking died, literally, but I, I about died. I started suffocating. I threw up and started coughing my lungs out. And crying, not not literally crying, but my eyes were watering because I the fucking cigarette was so harsh that I almost uh, it, it, it it did a number on me, but I didn't put it down. I still tried to to um, to finish the cigarette. I remember, you know, sitting there and using words that my dad would use to try to embrace his spirit and his soul and bring him back. Not bring him back in a physical form, but bring him back to where I remember being comforted and enjoying and celebrating his existence. It was it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, so fast forward now a couple a couple of days. I don't know the exact time frame. Again, I don't hold on to dates like a lot of people do. Being young and something like that happening, it, it the the days just kind of blurred all together, but I remember, uh, being asked or not being, it was being asked by my mom if I wanted to be one of the pallbearers of my, of my dad's casket. And I was like, fuck yeah, I do. Hell yeah. I want to be a pallbearer. I want to carry my dad's casket. You're damn right. You know, and that was one of the biggest honors I've ever had asked by my mom. So, you know, I had that, you know, I and puff my little chest out and prove that, you know, I'm, I'm able to handle this. But I remember my sister, my sisters, myself and my brother, going to the, uh, to the morgue or the mortuary where my dad's wake was going to be, was going to take place at. And they, they allowed us to look at the body before they, you know, we, they took him to the church and we did the whole Catholic memorial thing. And then the wake at the mortuary. I remember going to see the body beforehand and he was in his cast. I didn't cry. I, I didn't cry, not because I wasn't hurt, but I didn't cry because I don't know if it was a dream or if it was something that actually happened, but I remember laying in my mom's room and then I heard the back door open and I heard my dad's heavy boots coming into the kitchen. I heard him uh, place his lunchbox on the counter and then I heard him walk to the living room. Then I heard the heavy foots on the carpet and go into my mom's room. And then when I opened my eyes, I saw him sitting at the foot of uh, at the foot of my mom's bed. He was taking his boots off and he looks at me and he says, Morro, why are you crying? I I, I remember having this conversation again. I don't know if I was awake or not, but I remember having the conversation. I told him, well, because you're gone, you died. And he tells me, so what is crying going to do? Is crying going to bring me back? Is crying going to make you make everything better? No, I'm still going to be gone. So there's no need for you to cry. You already cried on on Sunday when when you got back from your uncle's house. You don't need to cry anymore. It's not going to do anything. You need to be strong for your mom and your sisters. You are the man of the house now, and crying isn't going to make anything better. Crying is just going to make everyone else cry, and it's going to it's not going to help you out in any way. So don't cry. Men don't cry. Remember that. And if you do cry, then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to I'm going to whoop you. But you know this is all in Spanish, so I didn't cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was out of, you know, not not fear, but it was out of respect because, you know, that's my that's that's Superman. Superman told me not to cry. So why why am I going to cry if Superman told me not to cry? So we were at the at the body viewing before everyone else was there. You know, we had backstage pass, you know, we had VIP access since it was my, you know, my dad and, and my mom's husband. And I remember my older sister crying hysterically she was bawling her eyes out. she looked at his head <laughs> and I remember rubbing his uh, I remember my sister uh, stroking my dad's hair and saying who gave him this awesome haircut Oh that's right me I gave him this awesome haircut so you know his hair is gonna look good because my my sister had just given my dad a haircut uh, prior to to the uh, to the party to uh, the the birthday party on August 21st on Saturday so I remember, I remember my, uh, (laughs) my sister bawling her eyes out, but being able to get out, you know, get saying out that she, she gave my dad the best haircut and that, uh, that she, you know, it was, it was a great haircut, which, you know, it really was, you know, my, my sister has skills. It's taken her a while to get to those, get those skills, but she has skills. And, and it was a very, it was a very awesome moment. One of those memories that's, that sticks out in my head. And, I, I, re, I also remember my mom not saying much. My mom just rocking back and forth and, and crying silently. You know, you can see the tears welling up in her eyes and you can see the tears streaming down the side of her face. And yeah, But I wasn't crying. Like, I wasn't crying not because I wasn't hurt or because I wasn't emotional. I wasn't crying because I, I was told not to by my dad. True story. Since that Sunday morning that my dad passed away or that I was told that he had passed away. I have not shed a tear since that day. So since, uh, 93, I have not shed a tear and it's not because I don't want to, (laughs) it's because I don't have it in me. I don't have that emotional button to release any tears or any, any sort of, of, uh, uh, waterworks period, you know, it, it was, it's been a very proud defining moment for me that I have not cried or shed a tear in, in anything of that, anything when it comes to being, being emotional. But again, it wasn't because I wasn't, I didn't want to, but it was because my dad told me not to. So, you know, uh, here comes, uh, you know, the, the Catholic, uh, big, uh, church thing was long and dreadful. It was fucking annoying. And then we go to the wake the wake for my father was held at this mortuary. And I can't think of the, of the name of the mortuary anymore, but there were so many people there that we had to have crowd control on who can be inside and outside and cars had to be parked down the street. Again, just our, the Romero family alone is a huge, huge, huge party. I mean, there, there's, there's, very there's a large amount of, uh, of Romero's that showed up to to that funeral. And then you know, adding my mom's side of the family and then adding the the numerous friends that he, my dad has made over the years at, you know, at the job that he worked at, there was a lot of people there. And I remember there were so many tears. There were so many people crying. And in the back, <laughs> there's this, there this little garden area outside of the mortuary where, you know, you'd be able to go outside and, and have a cigarette. But I remember my cousins and a bunch of my uncles drinking out in the backyard, <laughs> out in the back garden area. You know, they had their uh, their 20 pack of, of Bud Light and they were all drinking and, and just carrying on as you know celebrating my dad's life but you know and that was I thought that was one of the most amazing things that that happened out of my family and when the funeral the day that we actually buried him the burial the casket was fucking heavy I was put on the front left side of the of the casket and we had to carry it from where the the hearse parked all the way to the grave site where my dad was going to be put inside I, I was carrying it and holy god damn it that fucking thing was heavy and not to mention that you know it was, it, you know, five other adult, five adults were carrying the the casket along with me. So all of their weight, the weight, because I was way, I mean, I was short compared to an adult, and uh, you know, carrying it, I thought, oh man, I thought I was going to drop my dad a few times. That fucking casket was heavy, and. It, <laughs> you know, I, I just remember in my head telling myself, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. You know, I was walking and it was, I try to walk fast, but because I was overpowered by, by my other, by the other family members, I couldn't walk fast. So I, I had to keep pace with them. And oh my gosh, that shit was heavy. I was so relieved when I was able to put them on the, on the lowering mechanism. <laughs> Again, and so we, you know, being, being part of the, we sat next to my mom, I was sat next to my mom, my sisters, and a few other family members. some of my closer aunts and uncles and everyone was crying. Uh, My sisters weren't, my, my older sister was, was crying uh, loudly, not, not screaming dramatically, but you know, she was, you know, doing the, the, you can hear that she was crying. Uh, My, my middle sister, which is four years older than me, I don't really remember what she was doing. But I know there was tears in her face and for me, my eyes were watery, but I would, I refuse to let a tear fall down my face because I didn't want to disappoint my dad. And so I stayed quiet and I observed everyone around me crying. And at some point I remember my sister who's four years older than me, she, her and I ended up talking and joking around and, you know, cracking jokes about, you know, things that were happening around, you know, our way of coping with, with traumatic events it was uh, it was surreal to see my dad being lowered six feet in the ground. It it was it was it was the most bizarre thing I have ever seen and I have ever witnessed. It, you know that that saying where I I uh, I don't know the saying. I don't know why I said that, but you know watching watching your superhero being lowered six feet into the ground. Uh, does something to your head, it, it, it changes you emotionally. It changes your way of thinking. Well, at least me, I don't know if it, if it happens to anyone else, but at that point, when I saw my dad lower, get lowered into the ground, it was at that point where I no longer believed in God. I no longer turned to any religious comforting, any sort of fate. I was at that moment where I become, where I became atheist, you know, you don't you don't share that kind of information with your catholic mother especially after after uh, her husband passed away so i you know, i kept that between you know i kept that to myself watching that my heart my emotions my feelings uh, might as well had been lowered into that ground with my dad i became real cold i became real distant i became I became a, a completely different kid. I, I didn't give a shit about my life anymore. I didn't care about uh, repercussions. And, and it results from that day, I got into a lot of fights when I was an eighth grader. And I got jumped, I got hit in the head, and I didn't care. I didn't care because it there was nothing that can hurt me the way my aunt had hurt me and the way my dad being lowered into the ground hurt me. And now that I'm older... I realized that that hurt that I held on, that, that, that drove the person I am, drove me to become the person I am now was a complete selfish and irrational thing to hold on to. My dad didn't ask to die. My dad didn't commit suicide. You know, I guess it would be a different story if he had committed suicide, but he didn't, you know, he, he passed away for what, I still don't know the exact reason why he passed away. You know, uh, from what I was told and from what I believe the the death certificate said was that he choked. He choked on on some food that was lodged in his throat. But I never got a clear answer and a direct answer because I don't care. I don't care enough to know what he died from. I don't care. The point is that he died. I don't care from what, you know. But. Holding on to that 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 emotional baggage for all those years was, was selfish on my part because they didn't choose it. You know, my aunt, okay, she did choose it, but at the time she felt that it was in my best interest to protect me. And, you know, I'm telling you parents right now, if someone is dying or if someone has died, do not lie to your kids. Let them know right then and there. Sit them down and have a heart-to-heart with them and let them know the truth. It's less damaging and easier for them to cope with than it is for them to know that they've been lied to i'm telling you firsthand you know experience wise that it is not worth lying to your kids about it I've, i've been emotionally not scarred but emotionally damaged to where i don't have emotions it's very far and few in between that i show any sort of emotions and it's all because of that it's because of you know, watching my dad being lowered, watching my dad's casket and being lowered six feet underground and and covered with dirt—that had a lot to do with with who I am now. It, it, I don't blame anybody. I don't I don't blame anybody anymore. I, I never try to blame anyone. But you know, as a kid growing up, you want to blame the world. You know, I blamed my mom for years and years and years for being you know uh, overly uh, strict with me. You know, playing both roles, mom and dad role. But you know, let it be known that. I don't hold it against her. I never, I never, and I don't discredit her. You know, she did an amazing job raising me. She did what she could, you know, by working 12, 14, 15 hours to make sure that we had clothes in our back, bills, you know, how a roof over our head and food in our belly. Uh, I understand now that I'm older, why the, the, how strict she was and the way that she handled things because she didn't know any better. She, she was dealing with her own emotional, her own emotional issues after losing her, her soulmate and her life partner, and then trying to raise, uh, three kids, my sister was already older. She was already married, but, uh, my, my, uh, my sister who's four years older than me, myself and my little brother, it, it was, it was a difficult task for her. And I, and I thank her for the job that she did, you know, I've never been in prison. I've never been in jail. I've been arrested a few times, but I've been released for it. I've, no, 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 I've never been convicted of anything. Yes, I did uh, dabble with drugs to try to uh, hide and, and mask the emotional hurt and, and uh, fucked up way of life that I was, I, would, I was thinking and trying to live. You know, And so uh, for two years of my life, I was heavy into drugs. And my junior, senior year, I, I, I cared about nothing. I, I found it really difficult to care about anything. And so I, I was on on a self-destructive path to ending who I was. Not necessarily intentionally committing suicide, but being okay with if if I overdosed and dying. You know, it it wasn't, it was never a fear for me that if I had too much drugs, then I wouldn't be around. That was never a fear for me. It was, it was embraced. So again, if anyone is dealing with any sort of depression or any sort of, uh, thoughts of suicide, please contact your local help group and get some help. Trust me. It's someone it's better to talk to someone than not talk to anyone at all. Your life is important. Your life is valuable, you know? So I uh, I personally, the day the, the leading after that, I didn't care about much. You know, it, I was on such a fucked up path that I didn't even graduate high school. Not not because it was the school was hard. No, school wasn't hard at all. But it's because I didn't care. You know, my my intentions were to just work, go get a job in the oil fields and work like my dad. You know, my dad didn't have a high school graduate, uh, high school education. He worked. He busted his ass and did and provided for us very well. Uh, my mom didn't have a high school ed- education until she got, went to go get one. She got a GED so she can become a tax preparer so she can, you know, do something, uh, with, uh, with her, uh, with her life. And she did a fantastic job working 12, 14, 15 hours a day at H and R block. And a lot of that, again, I I don't blame her for how overly strict she was with me. I didn't make her, I didn't make her life any easier either, but I just after my dad died, I was a completely different person. I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care about family. I didn't care about uh, anything. There's nothing that I cared about because I didn't know or I didn't have an outlet to uh, to open up and, and talk about everything that I'm talking about today. And e- even on the times that I tried, there was a I was told that I was full of shit and that it, it you know it happened a long time ago and I it, it shouldn't be bothering him. it shouldn't be bothering me anymore. Well, that that type of uh, of uh, way of thinking, I, I held on to it because I felt like I didn't have a voice. I didn't care, and I shouldn't trouble anyone. And in with uh, sharing my feelings and exactly what I was going through at the time when I was in high school or junior high and high school. So why why care if nobody else cared? You know what I mean? Is that type of deal? And uh, there was a uh, one time where uh, I I was. I was uh, messing up in school a lot, and a counselor talked to me about it. And, you know, my, he and my mom was brought in, and the counselor you know, mentioned that I was uh, dealing. Because uh, you know that was, that was an excuse I used. You know I was dealing with the uh, the death of my father, and so I, I was, so the reason why I got called in because I was ditching a lot of class. I was actually doing a lot of drugs, and, and uh, one of my teachers caught me, and I was fucking higher than a kite. And I was, it was threatened that I was going to go, I was going to get sent to continuation school or Vista, you know, on Bakersfield. And so my, my quick reaction was, Hey, I'm still dealing with the death of my, of my father. So this is the reason why I'm doing drugs and, and cutting school. Well, when my counselor told my mom that my mom told the counselor, he's full of shit. My, his dad died back in 93 and I was a junior at that time. And, uh, so my counselor was like, "Yeah, but you know, if he hasn't gotten over it," and she's like, "Well, he's gotten over it, and he's just doing this because he he wants to." <laughs> you know, that was a great conversation that I had with my, my, with my counselor. And uh, my counselor, after that day, asked me if how I was doing, and I, my exact words were, "I really don't give a shit how I'm doing. I have drugs in my pocket, and I'm doing great." So. You know, that, that's the kind of uh, life that, that I, I, I lived for years and years and years and years. Again, I'm not I'm not discrediting anything that my mom have done. My mom has done an amazing job. I, I, I'm very appreciative for the ethics uh, that the work ethic that she instilled in me. I'm very thankful that she did what she could, sacrificed her own, you know, her own happiness to make sure that we were happy and we had what we wanted uh, sorry, what we needed, not necessarily what we wanted because she didn't want us to be spoiled little brats. <laughs> so it was more what we needed. But you know, uh, uh, when, when someone close to you dies, like a parent, especially if you're close to them, you, you, you lose a part of you and that's okay. It's okay to lose a part of you. You know, that's part of life. You're going to lose, you're going to win. You're going to lose. It doesn't matter. The The most important thing is that you find a good outlet to help heal and, and fill that void with, with good things. Um, I filled it with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and that didn't work out too well for me. I mean, I didn't get anybody, you know, there, I don't have any illegitimate kids running around, but you know, I also didn't graduate high school because I didn't want to, I didn't care enough to, to graduate high school, but you know, all in all, I am doing well. I, I've been married for almost twenty years. I have three amazing kids. I have an amazing family. My sisters, my mom, or my brother, we're all supportive of each other. We, you know, we we uh, we do what we can to to reach out and and you know rem- remind each other that we're still there. And as far as my other family goes, you know, the Romero's and all that, you know, they're 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 great for, for what they do. You know, I, I'm appreciative of being a Romero. I'm always proud of being a Romero and I always will be proud of being a Romero. Uh, the, the ending, Oh shit. I've been talking for an hour now, but, um, uh, all, all in all, uh, the, the whole, I, I just felt like I needed to get to put this out and just, just, and, Pay homage to my dad. My dad was a wonderful man. He was a great man. A lot of people who I'm related to, a lot of friends, can can attest to my dad being an, an amazing person. You know, he he lit up the room. He made everyone laugh. He felt he made everyone feel welcome. You know, I I, I talked to my my wife and my girls about if if my dad was still alive now, how spoiled my three kids would be. It would be ridiculous how spoiled they would be. You know, especially uh, being all girls. My dad would would be. Head over heels over having so many grandkids, Uh, you know. It's just it's unfortunate that that my kids weren't able to experience the the joy that my dad my dad had. But you know, we we try to keep things alive and we do what we can. I I don't really talk about my dad's life and history unless I'm asked about it. I just don't I just don't see it as a necessary thing. You know, I I have his memories deep in my heart in my mind. And in my opinion, that's been uh, that's that's enough for me. You know, everyone, everyone pays memories and homage to uh, different ways. I don't I I do it different. You know, I don't I don't believe in a lot of uh, traditional things that people do. You know, I, I just don't see it the same way it's not because it's it's bad or it's because it's good no it's just because i don't see it the same way as everyone else does you know i, I just this is not something that i that i do however i still have a, the very strong memory and recollection or memories that i shared with my dad and that we experienced you know it, it's just everyone remembers him differently that's why i put that disclaimer that everything that i'm i'm talking about today is all how i thought felt remember it so with that being said, I appreciate everyone, and I thank you very much for listening to me go on and vent and just make an episode because of you know I just felt like making this episode. I felt like I, I needed to be done. So appreciate everyone around you. If you have a broken relationship, if you want to mend it, there's no rule saying that you have to. But if you feel like you need to, go for it. If you don't, fuck it. Don't worry about the relationship. I, uh, you know, appreciate every day that you have. Appreciate. The the feelings and emotions that you're able to to uh, feel and share with people, you know, just remember to tell people you love them because, you know, it it sounds kind of cliche. You never know when they're going to be gone. You know, my family uh, specifically, we don't we don't tell each other we love you. We just started recently and in the last couple of years that we've actually said that we love each other. And it's not because we don't love each other. It's just that we were never raised to, to share that type of, of emotion with each other. So to my mom, my sisters, and my brother, and all of my nephews and aunts, my godchildren, I love you dearly. I love you very, very much. Thank you for being a part of my life, and I couldn't have chosen a better family to be a part of. So again... Thank you very much. I appreciate everyone for listening. I appreciate all the support. Next week's episode will be back to my regularly scheduled program. Uh, tomorrow I am releasing three spooky stories, so why, you know pay attention to that. And thank you very much. And as always, good morning, good day, good night. Goodbye. This is the end. This is the end. This is the end. The end Graveyard Grumbler Podcast.